0: stand together and begin our time of worship together this morning, singing glory, glory, hallelujah, the battle hymn of the Republic. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored.
1: Pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for being so great. We thank you that you love us and offer us uh, mercy, compassion. Lord, uh, during this holiday weekend, as we think about the freedoms that we have, Lord, we thank you that we do live in a country where we can come and worship you. Lord, help us to use that freedom to worship you completely and Uh, each and every day. Lord, we thank you that you have given us so many resources and blessed us in so many ways. And we pray, Lord, that we would use those resources uh, in a compassionate way to help those in our community and our world. Lord, we pray that as in the next hour, as as Pastor Danny comes, Lord, we pray your spirit would be upon him. And we pray that you would prepare our hearts uh, both to worship you and, Lord, to respond to your word. We love you very much and pray these things in your name. Amen. We want to thank you for being here today. We are so glad to have you. If you are our guest, we just want to point out that in the pew pocket right in front of you, there are some cards like this. And uh, if you will fill that out, you can place it in the offering uh, box right outside the sanctuary. That'll help us to know a little bit about you. And uh, we again thank you for being here with us today today. Um, You may be seated. Um, I think our next uh, part today is uh, we're going to see the kids went to camp this past week, and we're going to see a little video uh, seeing how they did.
0: Before we show this next video this is the weekend that we celebrate our freedom tomorrow being uh, 4th of July and but also there's something special that's happened right here in our own church family yesterday Becky and Robert Thurston celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary. And they are both with us this morning Becky's in the choir. So if you see them, wish them a happy 50th, and I believe the flowers over here with all the flags, because Robert is a veteran, uh, is in their honor. So uh, give them anniversary wishes today. We're going to see a video, a patriotic video, and then right after that, the choir is going to sing, and about halfway through, I'm going to turn and have you sing with us, God Bless America, so you watch for the words on your screen. Right now, point your attention to the video. seated right now. We have a special treat for you. Uh, Joe Reed is going to come right now and share a great song entitled, I Pledge Allegiance to the Lamb.
2: Le vrai ou To reject this world, to embrace the cross, and one by one let us live our lives for the one who died to give us life till that trumpet sounds on that final day. Let us proudly stand and Boldly say I pledge allegiance to the with all my strength with all
3: And all God's people said today... Thank you so much, Joe. We are so blessed that you and Kathy are in our church, and we praise God for um, that song today. Aren't you glad you're in God's house this morning on this 4th of July weekend? Happy 4th of July to you. I stand before you today to say what you already know to be true, that I am proud to be an American, and I'm proud of this country, and I pray for this country, and I invite you to do exactly the same. Um, Several notes to make before we get into the message today. First of all, in that same vein, I want you to be aware and ask for your prayer that a true American hero has passed away this week. He has been in our community. He was the last surviving Medal of Honor holder from World War II. His name is Herschel Woody Williams. And many of you know, for the last three years, I've been working to see that our President of the United States declared a state funeral for the first enlisted man in history, and that's Woody Williams. And so we are very close to getting that done. I'll report to you, and I invite you to pray over that. We believe an announcement will be made in the next week or so, Um, and we are praying intently that God will allow that to happen for us. Um, also, kids, welcome home from camp. We enjoyed the video and I'm so thankful. Kathy, Bobby, to you both. Y'all survived. And and um, Scott is here today. He survived camp as well. and um, And so I'm glad that y'all are home. Also, Robert and Becky, Steve beat me to it. Congratulations to you. And Gary and Kathy Sanders, 56 years they announced to me this morning. And so we celebrate your anniversary as well. Let's give them a hand also. That is exciting. So happy July 4th weekend. It, it, it has so much significance for us. And um, I want to start off, I always like to give you a little material for the week. Many of you are oftentimes looking for a good joke that you can retell. And these are oftentimes dad jokes, and so I apologize. But here we go. A couple of 4th of July jokes. How come there aren't any knock-knock jokes about America? Anyone? Because freedom rings, all right? I apologize. Uh, What kind of tea did the American colonists want? Obviously, liberty, right? And what would you get if you crossed George Washington with cattle feed? Very easy to understand, the fodder of our country, all right? And then what did the colonists wear to the Boston Tea Party? Obviously, their t-shirts, right? And what does the Statue of Liberty stand for? Well, goodness, it can't set down, right? And then, if you crossed a patriot with a curly-haired dog, what would you get? A Yankee poodle, all right. So, so there you go. Go with those this week. That's as be- that's the best I can do. Thank you, Linda, very much. The only person that enjoyed every joke that I told today. Um, but if today, let's go ahead and get into the message. Thank you for laughing at those terrible jokes. If if today, if today's sermon, I should say, were a NASCAR race. Right now, the checkered flag would be waving because this sermon is the last lap we're going to take... In this little mini-series, if you've been with us, you know exactly where we are. But if you haven't, then it's my duty to get you connected with us. We have been in an ongoing study. It's been a long study. We've been embracing the big names of the Old Testament. We have been talking about the big events in the Old Testament. And we've studied a lot of those big names, Moses and Samson, Elijah, Elisha, Jacob all of those big Old Testament names, but now we've kind of pumped the brakes a little bit and found ourselves taking a little bit of extra time with Joseph. And that's okay because Joseph takes up 25% of the entire book of Genesis. And this little mini-series we called Joseph's Road because we've been traveling this road with Joseph, and, and and we've seen Joseph had quite a ride. Um, In this series, we've learned that Joseph had to roll over some speed bumps to get his attention. He had to fall into a pothole of despair. He had to screech to a halt when God threw up stop signs to protect him. Um, He took some detours that tried his patience and his trust. He went, actually, in the text, from being a teenager to being a grown man. And so today, we find Joseph, interestingly enough, at the end of his entire journey. Today we come to the literal final chapter of his life, and now Joseph, as an old man about to pass from this earth, has a trust in God that's so great, it's like his life was on cruise control. And that's what we're going to talk about today, and we've talked about speed bumps and potholes and all of these things that we don't necessarily like, but let me ask you today, do you like cruise control? Now, now most of us would say yes to that. I mean, it's, it's great, isn't it? You're driving down the road, setting a constant speed, you, you give up control, if you will, and you just, you just cruise along. But I, I want to tell you a story as we get into this this morning, a story about a cruise control incident that I had that might make us think a little bit differently. And, and it takes us all the way back to when I was going to school at Howard Payne University. In those days, Carissa and I had just been married, and, and as newlyweds, as, um, and starting out with our family and our marriage, we were looking for a car. And so we went to the only place we could afford one. We went to a used car lot, and we and we drove off of that lot what appeared to be a nice, reliable car. So we get into the car, my college roommate James was, was there along with us, kind of along for the ride, moral support, and we're headed down the highway after leaving the used car lot, and I hit the cruise control. Well, I thought nothing of it, I'd done it many times before, right? And, and then I went to hit the brake, and when you hit the brake, the cruise control is supposed to release, but that did not happen. It didn't happen at all. The cruise control was locked in hard and the engine continued to roar even though I was trying to slow down. We moved into a lower speed limit and that car was still going the same speed. It wasn't slowing at all. We were getting into heavier and heavier traffic. We were frantically talking to each other. What do we do? I was standing on the brake but the car wasn't about to be stopped and then the idea came from the back seat. Why don't we try to turn off the ignition? And so i got over into the shoulder of the road and switched off the ignition. The car coasted to a stop. We got out thankful to be alive and we walked back to that used car dealer. We tossed him the keys and we said, no, thank you. Right now, fortunately, here's my point. God's cruise control is more reliable than that. Somebody say, amen. Amen. You see, when we set the cruise in our car, We're really no longer in control of the speed. But when we give over the control of our lives to God, it's then and only then that we can really finally have the smooth ride, if you will, that that we are looking for. And so I want you to take your Bibles this morning and let's go together to the very last chapter of the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 50, and let's stand together as we honor the reading of God's word this morning. We're going to read beginning in verse 15, Genesis chapter 50 Verse 15, we'll read all the way through 21, and then skip on to the end. Genesis fifty fifteen. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a drudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? Remember all those wrongs they did? So they sent word to Joseph, who was the second in command in Egypt, saying, Your father left us instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I'll provide for you and your children. And he reassured them, and he spoke kindly to them. Now skip forward to verse 24. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid. And take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. Verse 26. So Joseph died at the age of a hundred and ten. And after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. As we come to the end of this incredible earthly life, I pray today that that we would learn yet again instructions and principles and lessons that Joseph has to offer us today. God bless you. You may be seated. Let me just say this as we begin to dig in. What an incredible life. Amen. What an incredible life from a 14-year-old boy to dying as a grandfather in Egypt. And this morning, I want us to talk together about some life lessons we can learn from Joseph. And, and as we've learned each and every week as we've examined him, if we'll apply these lessons to our lives, we can ride on cruise control with God. And here's the first lesson I think that we can pluck from the life. You can trust God without understanding everything. You can totally trust God without understanding everything. And I I get this idea from Joseph's words. Verse 20, one of the most powerful verses, I think, in the entire Old Testament. You intended to harm me, he said to his brothers, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And it's right there that we find the two most important words in the verse. What are they? But God. Many bad things happened to Joseph, but God turned it around for good. You know, there, there had to be times that Joseph didn't have it all figured out. And can you imagine his questions? Why am I in this pit, God? I don't understand. Why am I in handcuffs? God, I don't understand. Why am I hated and lied about? God, I don't understand. Joseph did not understand why everything was happening. He just chose to keep on trusting. And the same thing can be true of our lives, right? We just need to keep trusting God. And there's some credible probing questions that we can ask. There are many questions you've asked in your life. Let me just rattle off some difficult ones that many of you have had. Why did my spouse have to die before me? Why did I get cancer? Why did I have to bury my child? Why did I have to bury my grandchild? Why did my parents have to split up? Why does everyone else seem to prosper when I just keep on suffering? You see, very seldom are we going to get answers to those type questions. But instead, in those times, God is going to give us the chance to trust him completely, even when we don't understand it all. Proverbs 3 comes to mind. What's it say? Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, say it with me, and he will direct your paths. One translation says, he will make your paths straight. So when you ride through life, you have a chance to either understand it or just choose to trust God. And so my encouragement today to all of us, including myself, these lessons are for every single one of us. Put your life on cruise control and give your direction and your speed to Almighty God. Let me give you a second lesson from Joseph's life. You can survive adversity without bitterness. And this is another powerful lesson from Joseph. If anyone ever had a right to be angry if anyone ever had the right to be bitter to me as I look at Joseph's life it was this guy he had the right to be bitter but that's not what he chose in the end in the end when his brothers were so afraid of his retribution he said these words in verse 21 don't be afraid I will provide for you and your children Joseph didn't become bitter instead he allowed God to make him better That's exactly what happens in this story. It reminds me of another story where a family could have become very bitter. I want to tell you this. The story comes from 1994. It was found in the issue of a magazine called Our Daily Bread. I think many of you uh, read that and enjoy it. It's a story of a young man named Bruce Goodrich. Um, He was being initiated into the Corps at Texas A&M, and one night Goodrich was forced to run until he dropped. But the bad news is, a part of that initiation, Goodrich never got up. He died before he ever even got to enter college. And a short time after the tragedy, Goodrich's father wrote this letter to the administration of a to the faculty, to the student body, to the core. He wrote it to everybody, and I'm going to read what he wrote, because I think it's a powerful example of how you can choose to not be bitter. Here's what he said. I would like to take this opportunity to express the appreciation of my family, "...for the great outpouring of concern and sympathy from A&M over the loss of our son, Bruce. We were deeply touched by the tribute paid to him in the battalion. We were particularly pleased to note that his Christian witness did not go unnoticed before his brief time on campus." The dad said, I hope it will be of some comfort to know that we harbor no ill will in this matter. We know our God makes no mistakes. Bruce had an appointment with his Lord and is now secure in the arms of Jesus in heaven. When the question is asked, why did this happen? Perhaps one answer will be, he said, so that many will consider where they will spend eternity. How many of us could have written a letter like that? It's really amazing to me. An incredible letter. The family could have been bitter, but they chose not to go down that road. And they made a great choice because the Bible specifically warns about the danger of a bitter attitude. Hebrews chapter 12 says this. See to it that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. And think about that. If bitterness is the root, then what's the fruit? The fruit has to be poisoned. The Goodrich family and Joseph, they, they made a valuable decision, the right decision. They didn't allow their adversity to ruin them. No, they allowed it to make them better, and they, they looked to God. Alexander Solzhenitsyn was a great writer who won the Nobel Prize for literature in 1970. He was imprisoned in Siberia for eight years after he spoke negatively about Stalin in a personal letter he wrote to a friend. And as he reflected on that terrible ordeal years later, he said this. He said, in the intoxication of youthful successes, I felt myself to be infallible and I was therefore cruel, he said. It was only when I lay there on that rotting prison straw that I sensed within myself the first stirrings of good. Gradually, it was disclosed to me that the line separating good and evil passes not through states, not between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart. He said, so bless you prison for having been in my life. That was the statement of Joseph too, wasn't it? Joseph said, you intended all of these things, all of these things, selling me off, telling a lie about me to my dad, forcing me to be in prison, right? You did all of those things to harm me, but God intended it for good. My encouragement today, put your life on God's cruise control. Don't allow bitterness to run you. Don't don't allow anything else to take your direction or your speed other than Almighty God. And when you do that, you'll turn adversity um, into joy and, and you'll avoid bitterness. Life lesson number two, you can survive adversity without bitterness. Let me move to a third one. Joseph teaches us this, that you can face life and death without fear. Now, this is the one that gets my attention the most, and this is the joy that we have as the followers of Jesus Christ. You can face life and death without fear. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid. You see, Joseph was not scared of death at all. He knew there was an existence beyond death. He trusted God in all of his ups and his downs, and now he was going to trust him when the road ran out. So I need to ask to each of us in this room, whatever our age, to all watching online, do you trust God with your life? And do you trust and will you trust God in the end? I've got a very interesting exercise for us. I want you to participate just right there in your mind. I want you to imagine that your life is represented by the 16 waking hours of a typical day, all right? I know all of you don't have this typical day, but this is where I want you to go. 16 hours of a typical day. In other words, life is represented by the stretch that runs from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. You with me? Life begins at 6 p.m. Life ends at 10 p.m. So here's how it would go. If you're 10 years old, it's now 8 a.m. and breakfast is over. If you're 20 years old, it's 10 a.m. It's it's mid-morning. If you're 30 years old, it's high noon. The sun is high in the sky when you're 30. If you're 40 years old, it's 2 p.m. and lunch is passed your life's half over. If you're 50, it's 4 p.m. If you're 60, it's 6 p.m. And dinner is being served. If you're 70, it's 8 p.m. And the shadows have already fallen. If you're 80, it's 10 p.m. And God has pulled the covers back and he's fluffing your pillow, right? So think about it. If you view life, As the 16 waking hours in a day, it allows us to see what we're learning rapidly as we age, that life is really short, isn't it? When you're 10 and 15 and graduating high school, life seems so long. It took me 12 years to get through this education. But when we begin to age and we hear all of us saying this to one another, it goes by. So fast, doesn't it? You see, Joseph's whole life was summarized in 13 chapters. That's all it took. Life is brief. Life isn't very long. And that means we have to get ready for the day when we're going to stand before the Lord. So what I want to do to lead us to the end of of this entire message today is to give you three words why a Christian can face death without fear. And let me just ask you today, are you scared of dying? Because I've found that even many Christians sometimes still fear that. I know it's unknown. We understand that part of it. But I I want to tell you, brother and sister in Christ, if you know the Lord, if you're a born-again believer, you do not have to be afraid of death. And here's three words that tell you why. Here's the very first word. Write it down. Death is reunion. That's our word, reunion. In death, we're going to be gathered to be with our loved ones. Other people who have followed Jesus Christ. I look out across this sanctuary and I'll begin to think about it. When, you, when you're a pastor and you stay in a place long enough, there are many, many people that used to sit in this room and be a vital part of this ministry and this family. They're not with us today. But you know what? We will be joined together with them again in heaven. Somebody say amen. Praise be to God. When Jacob died, the Bible said he was gathered to his people. He wasn't gathered to strangers. He was gathered to his own people. And so will we be. Friend, you don't have to be afraid of death. Death is reunion. Here's the second thing. Death for the Christian means renewal. That's our second word. This whole body that we live in, what did the Apostle Paul say? It's like a tent. It's like a tent, and when this old tent is gone, it get it, it, when its old tent gets old, it, it, it gets tattered with age. Right? We may look at it and say that tent's been used quite a bit. Right? It's getting to be a little bit shabby. And when we die, our soul and our spirit are going to vacate this tent. It's going to be great, isn't it, to be in a new body? It's going to be great to be in a new place where there's no pain and no sorrow and no death. Friend, death is a time of renewal. You don't have to be afraid. Death is reunion. Death is renewal. Let me give you the third word. Death for a Christian means reality. What do I mean by that? I mean face to face. Death becomes reality. Because the Bible says now we walk by faith and not by sight. We can't see everything that we trust in. We can't see everything that we believe in. But when we get to heaven, the Bible says that that curtain will be drawn back. And we will now see in full what we used to only know in part. We will see Jesus Christ face to face. Friend, that's reality. And that's the joy we have as believers. If you're a born-again Christian today, you don't have to be Afraid. Everybody, please say Amen. Now, if you aren't a Christian, you have some decisions to make. Let me be more specific. You have a decision to make. Where will you spend eternity? You see, that's your choice. Because Jesus has already paid the price. For your sin. And the Bible says today he stands at the door of your heart and he knocks. And he's just waiting for you to open the door. To invite him into your life. To be your Lord and Savior. You see, for those of us who have accepted Jesus, we've put our life under God's control. And yeah, we still fail. We still mess up because we have an old nature that rears its head against us. But when you give your life to the Lord, you also will put your life under God's control. If you've never done that, I ask you to make that decision today. You can know that you know that you know that when you die, you'll be with God in heaven for all eternity. Joseph's life is pretty amazing. Some incredible lessons But to close this whole thing out today, I guess I've come to realize it never really was all about Joseph. I think it was all about what God was doing in and through Joseph and for Joseph. And so that's really true for you and me. So so I'll kind of close with this. It's not about me and it's not about you. It's about what God can do in you. It's about what God can do through you. So I'll close today with the song I'm about to sing to our preschoolers. And if you don't know, I get to go down on the first Sunday of every month. And I get to go in and sing with our preschoolers. And here's the song that I teach them. And this is the principle of Joseph's life. My God is so big.